Welcome to Strictly Business, Variety's weekly podcast featuring conversations with industry leaders about the business of entertainment. Today's guest with Cynthia Littleton in New York is UFC Chief Operating Officer Lawrence Epstein. The UFC veteran speaks candidly about the growth challenges facing the MMA pioneer, the impact of its acquisition by Endeavor, its growth in international markets, and the brand-building benefits of the league's new partnership with ESPN. Can you talk about the process of putting yourself up for sale and evaluating the, the field of players that, that came knocking and how, you, how the final deal with Endeavor came to be? Absolutely. You know, we bought the business in 2001 and spent, you know, 15 years essentially, you know, growing it to what, uh, you know, became one of the fastest growing sports uh, in the world. Um, you know, around 2015, we started getting some some inbound inquiries from a lot of Chinese companies about the prospect of buying UFC. And so by late 2015, you know, we sort of decided to begin an informal process where we talked to a variety of different uh, potential purchasers about uh, about selling the company. The main owners of the business, Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta, I think, had decided that they, you know, they were interested in exiting the business if they got the right price. Um, that process went from talking to some Chinese companies to really talking to a variety of, of, of American-based companies, you know, every sort of big player in the entertainment space, from the Walt Disney Company to Time Warner to... Uh, you know, a variety of other sort of media companies or strategic, you know, operating businesses that would, you know, be, uh, I think, a good fit for the UFC. Ultimately, uh, it, it was obviously sold to the Endeavor Group and Ari Emanuel. Uh, we had actually had a longstanding relationship with Ari. He'd been our agent for almost a decade, helping us with our U.S. TV deal. So it was actually a really nice fit. He was able to meet the price and uh, said it's been over two years now under the Endeavor ownership. When you first when you first heard that they were interested though in the acquisition, did that surprise you? That because that was at the early stage of Endeavor building itself out to what it's become. No, it really didn't surprise me. I mean, Ari had expressed you know a passion for this business you know you know for many many years, and uh, the question always was you know financially could they uh, go out and raise the money to get this thing done? And it was very clear that they they could. They'd made a series of acquisitions, including IMG, uh, you know, a couple of years before acquiring UFC. And, uh, you know, Ari had a passion for, for the business. Uh, it was a really good strategic fit. So it really wasn't a surprise. Uh, it was, uh, I think, you know, the right deal for us at the right time. Did you get, did you get into serious discussions with anybody else? Absolutely. We, we, as I said, we ran a process that probably lasted about nine months. And uh, of course, you know, as these, as the process sort of went along, certain parties would, would fall out for a variety of reasons. But, uh, you know, uh, we really got down to probably three or four, you know, really serious bidders. And, you know, at the end of the day, when, it, you know, the factors that you look at, of course, price you look at, but you also look at, you know, who's going to take the business to the next level because the Fertitas had spent a lot of time, effort, and money building this business, but they also really cared about it and they wanted to make sure that they didn't just make a fin financial transaction. They wanted to make sure that the business would continue to grow and continue to be part of the sports landscape. And so, you know, taking a look at some foreign buyers versus what Ari and, and uh, Endeavor had, I think made it made the decision, you know, sort of easy. Okay, you know, let's maybe take a little bit less money, but let's put it in the hands of somebody who's going to be able to take it to the next level. What did you, I would imagine that talking to people and, and gauging the interest from outside companies to acquire you would tell you a lot about the strengths and, and the potential weaknesses of your of the business. Did you learn a lot during the sale process? 
You know, we definitely learned a lot uh, in the sale process about certainly what investors were looking for, you know, when they wanted to uh, consider acquiring a business like ours. And it made us focus on maybe some of the things that were weaknesses or perceived weaknesses to make sure we had the proper answers and the proper sort of, you know, uh, I think, uh, ways to sort of deal with those. Um, you know, the other dividend of the sale process was that so many of the parties that we were talking to were also potential bidders for our rights. The most obvious one being, you know, ESPN. So the Disney company was at the table. They certainly listened to the pitch. And, you know, though they dropped out of the, you know, the purchase process, you know, it was pretty clear to me that they were going to bid on our rights. And, you know, that obviously came true because we just entered into a five-year deal with, with ESPN, uh, which is going to start January 1st of 2019. There was, there's been some chatter on Wall Street that that, that, that ESPN deal wasn't as big as it was and the you know with the with the b in front of the you know in front of the billion that it wasn't it, it didn't meet the expectations of endeavor and of the usc is that true not at all i mean the deal that we did with uh with espn is really a multifaceted deal so the headline of course is 1.5 billion dollars over a five-year period 300 million dollars per year that you know is basically for a package of content very similar to what we have with fox and that's almost a three times increase over the Fox deal. But that's that's sort of not the end of the deal. I mean, one of the things that we're frankly most excited about is that ESPN is going to be a non-exclusive seller of our pay-per-view product. So now we've got a real partner that's going to be focused on selling pay-per-view that, you know, we think can really help us grow our business. In addition to that, you know, the credibility of being in partnership with the Walt Disney Company and ESPN has helped us in so many ways, including sponsorship. It's affected, you know, positively our foreign television deals, deals outside of, of the United States. And it's just created a lot of credibility for our brand. So, yes, you know, $1.5 billion is the headline, but there's so many other benefits that we're getting out of this deal with ESPN. How, um, how much would you say that your um, revenue mix is dep- is driven by the, your pay-per-view events and now this more mainstream sports licensing with a partner like an ESPN. Do you know what the percentage breakdown is? Well, the, the percentage breakdown right now is going to change, you know, obviously effective January 1st because we're going to be getting more revenue from, from ESPN than we were getting from Fox. Uh, so the, you know, sort of the dependence or the percentage mm-hmm. of revenue coming from pay-per-view will, will no doubt decrease. That being said, you know, uh, we believe that the relationship with ESPN is going to actually grow our pay-per-view business because, first of all, we're going to get much more exposure uh, being on the ESPN platform than we have with Fox. The, the television, you know, ratings essentially are almost three times more on ESPN and ESPN2 than they are on Fox and Fox Sports 1. In addition to that, ESPN's got an incredible digital ecosystem, you know, which of course has got, you know, earned, it's got their media, it's got, you know, so many, you know, many things that are attracting people to, you know, that platform. So we're going to get additional exposure via that. And, um, you know, we believe that, you know, when they're sort of one click away from buying a pay-per-view in that ESPN ecosystem, that's going to add incremental buys. So certainly from the outset, you know, the percentage of revenue coming from pay-per-view will decrease. But over long term, you know, we think we're going to grow that business. And, you know, who knows where it ends up, you know, three or four years from now. Are you going to do more events that that air strictly on ESPN and are not offered in a pay-per-view format? So we're going to do 42 events uh, next year, uh, which is about a three-event increase over what we're going to do in 2018. Uh, 40, uh, 40, those 42 events will appear in some portion 
on one of the ESPN platforms, or either ESPN, the broad reach, you know, flagship network, or the new ESPN Plus OTT platform. Uh, 20 nights will be exclusive to ESPN Plus, so the entire fight will be on the ESPN Plus platform. Uh, 22 nights, will there'll be some portion of the programming which will be on, uh, on the ESPN flagship, flagship network. And then we're still going to have 12 pay-per-view events. Those will be exclusively shown on pay-per-view. So, uh, you know, uh, that, that's exactly the number we've had this year and, and for the last several years. Do you feel like in, in this world of where people are becoming so accustomed to streaming, you know, the instant gratification button is, you know, the instant gratification is so important to consumers now for video. Do you feel like is the pay-per-view model maybe becoming outmoded? in this in this environment no not at all i mean in fact i think the pay-per-view business is more relevant now than it ever has been if you would ask that question five years ago i said well you know what pay-per-view is a tough business it's a hundred percent churn business you know um, right you got to sign them up every time up every single time and we did you know a huge event uh, uh october 6th and of course everybody left after the event was over that being said, in this world of cord cutters and cord shavers and cord nevers, having an a la carte, you know, sort of, I can buy it, you know, whenever I want to, is, uh, is, is, is a distribution platform that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, our philosophy for the last five years is the following. I mean, we didn't know where consumers were going with, you know, how they wanted to distribute content. So our strategy was build franchises in all the important areas, pay-per-view being one of them, OTT, VR, Fight Pass platform being another, you know, broad reach, you know, being Fox Sports and Fox Sports One and soon to be ESPN, and then sponsored content, YouTubes and those sort of, you know, pieces, you know, the Twitches and those type of, plat- those types of platforms. Uh, build franchises in those four areas and then give yourself enough flexibility to move content among those different franchises as their as consumers desire to consume content changes and i think it's it's worked out really well so we feel pay-per-view is 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 an important part of that ecosystem and it also gives you the ability to peak the peaks on these really big events i mean we did a boxing event last year with uh with conor mcgregor and floyd mayweather i mean it did 4.6 million or so pay-per-view buys you know those type of events give you the with pay-per-view give the ability to peak the peak and not leave any money on the table is pay-per-view are people do you find consumers are very price sensitive if you go up or down five or ten bucks do you see a big swing in not really i mean it depends on the event i mean it's like anything else in life i mean if people mm-hmm. perceive it as quality a must-have type of event um you know uh, they become a little bit price you know less sensitive to price i mean what we also see is when you increase the price you also increase clustering so you know our events are very social type events i mean people are getting together Somebody grabs pizza, another grabs the beers and the sodas, and they all come over to the house. The more expensive the event goes, we see the clustering increase. We also see an increase in our closed circuit business, which is where we display in bars and restaurants, you know, the UFC events. We'll see an uptick in people going to bars and restaurants if we increase the price for a particular event. So, I mean, at the end of the day, if the event is high quality, people are going to figure out a way to see it. They might modify their behavior, but they're still going to watch the event. And even though all those people at a part at a person's house party or at a bar, they're not they're not each individually paying. Right. You probably love the social aspect of that because it makes a UFC something that people look forward to. It's a it's a it's a destination, if you will. I'm, I would imagine that that's valuable. Hundred percent correct. I mean, we love that community aspect of our events. It makes it more fun when you're hanging out with a bunch of your friends, and you know, it also makes you more likely you know, to watch it again. So maybe tonight we're going to do the event at my house, but in a month later we'll go over to your place 
And, uh, you know, it just creates, as I said, a, a more fun environment to watch these events. They're social events. I mean, they're supposed to be fun. And if you've got a bunch of your friends with you, with you, they certainly are more fun than they would be if you're sitting by yourself. Right, right. Um, on the streaming side, you know, everybody's trying to fit, everybody that I talk to has a slightly different template for how, whether it's a scripted series or a reality show or a sports event. I'm curious, do you have anything in your ESPN deal that basically rewards you for success? If you hit a certain number of streams, are there escalators in any in any of your deals? I'm, I'm curious about the mechanics of these things. Yeah, we didn't we didn't structure any sort of bonuses if we you know help them get a certain number of additional subscribers for uh, for ESPN Plus, for example. Um, you know, we still will be retaining our own OTT platform, which is called Fight Pass, and of course we've got the the reward that we'll have via pay-per-view. So the more pay-per-views we sell, of course, you know, that's a variable revenue stream. The more we sell, the, the more we make. Uh, but there's nothing in our deal uh, that specifically rewards us for adding additional subscribers. Now, that being said, we want to renew this deal 20 times down the road with ESPN. So uh, we're obviously incentivized to do everything we can to make them happy. And as you can see, you know, ESPN Plus is clearly a priority for them. Yeah, for sure. How do you differentiate what you're going to put on Fight Pass versus what might be on the, in the ESPN ecosystem? You know, it's just part of, of the deal. And it's also part of, you know, sort of the way our fans are used to consuming content. So virtually every one of our cards sort of st- right now starts on the Fight Pass uh, platform, the sort of the, what we call the early prelims. It then will transition typically to Fox and soon to be ESPN. And then the main card will either be on, you know, a broad reach network or on pay-per-view. So I think we've, we've conditioned our fans to know that, you know, the fights sort of start on, on the OTT platform and then they progress to different, different platforms for the rest of it. In addition to that, you know, we've got a bunch of other content that we've got on the uh, Fight Pass platform. So, you know, magazine shows, features on our athletes, our entire library. And then we've licensed probably 25 or 30 other types of martial arts promotions there. So some of it's mixed martial arts, some of it's boxing, some of it's kickboxing, some of it's jujitsu. So, I mean, we're trying to create, you know, the point of differentiation for the Fight Pass platform, which is sort of the go-to place for all types of martial arts competition, in addition to a robust offering of UFC. One of the things that, of course, made UFC so attractive and so valuable is that it has become a magnet for so many young men, you know, teenage boys, young men. Is that is there a misperception that this is a really this is a guy's guy sport? Do you have a a more broad, a broader audience than than people like me would perceive? Well, you know, you're absolutely right that sort of the core audience is that 18 to 34 year old male. That's certainly, you know, the biggest part of our audience. But you might be surprised to know that 30% of our fans here in the United States are women. Um, and part of that's because of the fact that we have uh, female athletes within the organization. Um, so, and that's a growing part of our business. In addition to that sort of gender breakdown, we're, one, we're really the most diverse uh, audience when it, in, in the world of sports right now. Other than the NBA, which over-indexes us when it comes to uh, African Americans, um, we're number two. Um, in every other sport, we have the most, we, compared to every other sport, we have the most diverse fan base. So, uh, and it's growing faster than, frankly, the rest of our business. So whether it's African-Americans, Hispanic, and women, that part of our business is growing quicker than, than the, the rest of our business. So we're becoming more diverse every day. Have you seen benefits to being part of the Endeavor family? Obviously, a big part of that company is, is WME, a company that builds stars and is you know, a ta- one of the world's largest talent agencies. Has that been a benefit? 
Huge benefit. So just in the, the process of building stars, I mean, they're so good at doing it. And it's not just about building stars. It's building them quicker uh, than we, we've done in the past. And I think they've done a great job in helping us sort of build the star power and enhance the star power of our existing athletes. The second thing that's been great is that we've got um, a, a bunch of celebrity investors that are actually invested in UFC. And so, you know, they're out there, you know, promoting the product uh, because they've got a self-interest in it now. And then even those that don't have a self-interest in it, I mean, for example, Drake, he's a uh, he's a WME client. Uh, I don't believe he's an investor, but he's out there, you know, helping us promote UFC, using his social media platforms to help us. He actually, you know, uh, recently streamed a fight at one of his concerts in Las Vegas. So he's been, you know, just incredibly helpful to us, you know, growing and expanding the brand. And those are just a couple of the anecdotes about how, you know, the WME and Endeavor organization has really helped us build stars and enhance, you know, the UFC brand. Can you give us an example of a of a, a, a crossover opportunity or a, you know, a, a placement or a guest star shot for one of your fighters that really helped boost that person's profile outside, you know, outside of the world of UFC and in, in TV or film or... I mean, there's so many, uh, there's so many, you know, uh, whether it's movies or television shows or things that have integrated UFC into. I mean, the the thing is, actually, before um, Endeavor bought the company, you know, one of the biggest promotional things that we had done to expand, you know, sort of the, the fan base of UFC was, you know, we got one of our fighters on Entourage. And uh, that was all done by Ari. He got Chuck Liddell on the show. And I, even to this day, people come, even though it was like a decade or, uh, or so ago, people will say, you know, yeah, I remember when Chuck Liddell was on Entourage. That was a great episode. And, and that really, you know, that really uh, helped us grow the brand. You know, whether it's talk show hosts, uh, whether it's, you know, getting on, you know, the late night shows or getting on, you know, sort of morning, you know, television was Good Morning America. You know, Conan O'Brien, for example, has been just great in bringing our athletes you know on his show he did a you know a really funny segment with conor mcgregor in the lead up to the october 6th event and you know conan is is an investor but that opportunity you know just wouldn't have been there to get you know regular coverage of our athletes on his show um without the endeavor relationship there's no benefit you know there's nothing better than a you know, enthusiastic uh, talk show host or somebody talking about your your product to move the needle, whether it's you know whether it's shoes or packaged goods or UFC for sure. It's great, and then you know Conan just does. He's so funny. You know, he's so into the sport. You know, and he really likes Connor, and they have this great sort of back and forth relationship. And you know, then that stuff after it airs, you know, clips of it go viral, and you know, people are of course, you know, using their social media platforms to to you know, in, in further enhance the distribution, and all that stuff sort of leading up to the event, you know, just enhances you know the interest in the event, and ultimately gets more people to buy pay per views. Is there, um, you know, I think you have the you have the high class problem of of being so successful that there's that there are some startup ventures and and some burgeoning leagues that are that are you know could grow into competitors significant competitors to ufc are you on the one hand the expansion of the market is you know is probably a good thing for the mma world but are you concerned about you know the rise of new competitors you know we've got some real competitors out there i mean you know uh in the u.s bellator which is owned by viacom 
outside the U.S., this is a global business. You know, One FC has built a, a very nice business in Asia. You know, we don't see it as a zero-sum game. You know, we're only doing 42 events per year. Um, we we feel that, you know, if somebody watches Bellator or One FC or one of the dozens of promotions around the world and they like what they see, you know, they're probably going to, you know, take a shot at uh, enjoying some of our content since we're the market leaders. So, um, as I said, we don't see it as a zero-sum game. You know, though we have a fair amount of competition for athletes at times, you know, at the end of the day, we're sort of rooting for those guys to be successful because if people like the product and, uh, you know, they enjoy it, they're probably going to come check out UFC at some point. But would you say, I mean, I would imagine that with your growth and the growth of the market that the that the athlete salaries have probably come up significantly in the last couple of years as they see all those big numbers. No doubt about it. I mean, Conor McGregor uh, last year made uh, over $100 million. He was the third highest paid athlete, you know, behind, I think, Ronaldo and maybe Lionel Messi. You know, so that's, the ans- that's pretty astounding stat right there. It is. It is. So uh, there's no doubt that fighter comp has has increased. But, you know, at the end of the day, the overall business has grown, too. So, you know, we don't see that as a bad thing. We see that as a good thing. You know, we want athletes to be able to make not only a good living, but a great li- living, because that means more athletes will come into the sport, seeing it as an economic opportunity. So, you know, once again, that's a that's a good problem to have fighter fighter comp going up. As you expand it first into Fox and now into ESPN, very mainstream traditional TV, um, you know, UFC has made its name. It is a very physical, it can be a very violent sport. Is that is there pressure at all to tamp down on some of what has made the UFC very appealing? No, I don't think there's any, any pressure to sort of change, you know, anything about the sport other than to be proactive and make sure you're doing everything to make the sport as safe as possible and to provide information to athletes so they can make informed decisions. I think if, if mistakes have been made by other sports organizations, it's been, it's been the latter. It's like, you know, not giving athletes information so they can make informed decisions. And I think, you know, we've been very proactive in doing that and making sure that we're studying the, our athletes as much as we can. Uh, you know, we've been funding a study with the Cleveland Clinic uh, which has a location in Las Vegas where we're studying the brains of our athletes and those of boxers. And the goal of the study is twofold. I mean, number one, trying to figure out are certain people based upon their physiology just predisposed towards brain injury? And number two, are there early indications before somebody starts manifesting a cognitive deficit that we can see? And if we see those things, you know, get them out of the sport. Um, you know, there's about 600 athletes in the study, about 60% UFC and about 40% boxers. And, um, you know, there's been a three or four uh, uh, peer-reviewed medical studies already published on this data. So the good news is we're getting closer to where we are right now with the eye for combat sports athletes. So as a condition of getting you know, a, a license to be a boxer or an MMA athlete, you got to get an eye exam. If you've got a detached retina, you can't fight. You can't get a license anywhere. We want to get to the same point with the brain where we'll have some sort of a test. We'll follow athletes over a period of time. If there are changes in their, in their brain, for example... They're done. They're not able to fight anymore. So we can get people out of the sport before they actually do, you know, get injured. So we're hopeful in the next three to five years we're going to have those type of tests. And it may be, you know, taking, taking requiring athletes to get MRIs of their brain and then make that uh, a condition of licensure on an annual basis. And if changes are seen, once again, just like the eye, you're out of the, you're out of the business. You have to do something else with your life. So that's the stuff that, that we're doing to make sure that the landscape is as safe as it possibly can be. International is a very big growth opportunity for you. Are there are there markets that you're in that are becoming big growth drivers for you? And are there markets that you, you aren't in but you want to be in? 
the answer, you know, to the, the second question first is, you know, we're vir- in virtually every market right now. We're on TV, I think, in 160 countries and territories. We're reaching about 1.1 to 1.2 billion homes with every single one of our UFC events. So there's not a lot of places on the planet right now where you can't view, you know, UFC content, you know, if you've got an Internet connection, certainly, or if you have, you know, a basic, you know, sort of television package. Um, that being said, there are certain markets that we see a tremendous amount of, of upside in. You know, first is the U.S. I mean, we've, we've certainly made a lot of progress here, but uh, we feel like the CSPN deal is going to take us to the next level. Uh, our second biggest market currently globally is Brazil. Uh, it's one of the foundations of the sport, as I, I mentioned uh, to you. You know, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is you know, a key skill that you've got to master in order to be successful in our sport. So we've got a lot of fans and a lot of athletes from Brazil. Uh, but, um, you know, the list of countries where there's a lot of potential is, is very long. I mean, one of the areas of the world we're spending a lot of time on now is China. It's gone from a top 20 market, frankly, revenue-wise, to a top five market revenue-wise. And uh, it's obviously a huge country, but also a martial arts tradition in China. So I think you're going to see a lot, you know, uh, of, of effort goes towards growing that market, you know, uh, over the next several years. We did our first event in mainland China Last year in Shanghai, huge success, sold out the Mercedes-Benz Arena in Shanghai. And, and that's a big deal in China. I mean, there's not like a huge culture of buying tickets there. But other than the NBA and us, you know, not many sports have sold out. Um, so we're really proud of that. And, and it really showed us, you know, there's a great fan base there. I mean, I went to that event. Fans were there early. Um, they knew all about the sport. We had eight Chinese athletes on that card. And so, you know, we've got about... 12 to 15 Chinese athletes now, and, and that number is going to grow. We'd like to get to, you know, where we are with Brazil, 75 or 80, you know, Chinese athletes on the UFC, you know, roster. And so I think you'll see a lot of investment and a lot of interesting things happening with UFC in China going forward. Looking ahead to 2019, what what are the events or the initiatives that we should keep an eye on for UFC next year? Well, first and foremost, of course, is the launch of the ESPN deal. Um, you know, that starts January 1st. We're doing our first event uh, in at the actually at the Barclays Center here in New York uh, on, I believe, the, the 19th of January. So that's going to be, you know, sort of a seminal, you know, event for us, the first, uh, the first UFC under the ESPN uh, relationship. Uh, you'll continue to see significant international expansion, China uh, and other markets being a, a high priority. Um, and, um, you know, in addition to that, I, I think you'll continue to see us distributing content anywhere and everywhere that content is distributed. We're going to continue to be sort of on the leading edge of content distribution. Um, in addition to that, uh, there'll be some new sponsors that will be uh, coming in as, a, as UFC sponsors, both in the UFC and both in the United States and, and around the world. So a lot of exciting things coming up in 2019 for us. Great. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time and talking us through all of this. It's a fascinating business. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check in next week for another episode of Strictly Business.